just So yesterday talking about this um, this matrix, the the four noble truths and karma. So essentially, there's something to be abandoned, something to be cultivated, something to be let go of, stepped out of, dropped, something to be moved into, enhanced, felt, stabilised. And so there's a particular set of actions that we can undertake that will facilitate that Essentially, that shift itself is not through an action. The shift is almost like an involuntary uh, realignment. Like suddenly you drop a weight and think, oh, you sort of pop up. <laughs> it's like when you drop something, you don't have to kind of you sort of find yourself naturally lightening up. That's kind of that just involuntary. But there are particular things that uh, we can cultivate that help us first of all to to access the weight the grip the holding and to start to penetrate that and loosen it <coughs> this is the uh, cultivation that which is to be cultivated the experience of um, penetrating and releasing is to be fully enhanced fully uh, sensed realised made real Pragmatic, deeply felt, uh, not just through the thinking, not just through the emotions, but through the body. So, this is where we, the karma occurs through thought, through the mind, which is the emotional psychological base, attitudes, um, assumptions, impulses. Uh, inferences, things of this nature that we carry without really even knowing we're doing it. It's there, comes, pops up. And through the body, this, obviously the body is physical action, but the interesting piece that I will try to make clearer for us as meditators is a particular link between the body and the mind. Somatic, which means uh, we can all pro- immediately recognise that there are when we experience particularly powerful emotions, we get a bodily sense with that. You feel angry, you feel loving, you feel relaxed, you feel tense. There's both a bodily aspect and a psychological aspect. And this is actually the case from the coarsest to the most refined. Most will recognize it in the most powerful swings of our emotional pattern, but it's also in the more refined. So there's this um, synergy between these two bases the body and the mind base the other bit that I will to bear it to recognise is that the mind base 
I'm using the word mind to refer to your emotional, instinctive, reflex, sensitivity experience. Not your thinking, but that, but your emotional, reflex, sensitivity experience. Um, that is uh, subject to um, corruptions, confusions. It's intensely resonant and reactive, and some of the resonances are actually out of tune. So we're feeling fear resonances, but actually nothing right now is is attacking us. We're feeling compulsion experiences, but actually nothing right now is compulsive. There's no particular pressure, and yet we're feeling some pressure. Why is that? Because the mind establishes particular patterns, particular behavior patterns, and they get locked. So we end up pushing when we don't need to push. When things are just flowing, we're still pushing. We end up, we can feel overwhelmed and actually there's nothing going on except the feeling of being overwhelmed. <laughs> you know, and, and then out of that come the stories. So you've got, this is the, these are the residues. With Parker, it's called accumulated residues, results, and where these get stored is in the mind. Some of this is because of things we've done. Some of it is not because of things we've done. So it's important to recognize that the teachings on karma do not say that everything you experience right now is because of something you've done. It's very important to get that because people can get this under thought that karma is some kind of thing where if you get hit by a typhoon it's because you spat on a Buddha five lifetimes ago or something like that it was all your fault and the Buddha very clearly says this is not the case uh, what you experience is not because not necessarily because of everything you've done that's one of the factors other factors is accidents uh, incarnation having a body um, disease humours of the body climate so forth we might also say that uh, a big piece of, of what we are Carrying is a social context. The social environment within which we live, which is giving us all kinds of messages about what we should, shouldn't be, should, shouldn't get, and so forth. So that gets coded in. You're picking it up, you know, both obviously, you know, words, signals, very clear instructions be frightened, feel threatened, get angry. You know, get greedy, want some of this, you need some of this, that's obviously going on. Also, picking up a lot more in, in body language that is, uh, uh, the amount of time we spend in situations where there's a hundred people milling around, just rushing past each other. You know, so there's a sense of there's no, there's no contact, it's just all strangeness. You live in, we live in big cities where. 95% of the people that you see you make no contact with there's no speaking, no communication no sense of knowing who this is it's just somebody moves past uh, sometimes moving past quickly sometimes moving past carrying whatever they're carrying you know, stress obviously a lot of public places people are in some state of stress 
So what's being picked up is, I am in an environment of stress, I am in an environment of non-contact, I am in an environment of alienation, nobody cares, get your own thing. You know. Not verbally, sometimes you stop talking to one of these people, after a little few moments, fine, hello, human being, hello, oh yeah, right, nice. That's fine, you know, sort of, but the, there's a contextual thing happening and which you're very much affected by. Driving around little metal boxes or wheels honking at each other. You know, gladiatorial, isn't it? Going around cities like that. People get killed, these things. So, environmentally, we pick up all this sort of stuff. You come home from there that, you know, you're probably a bit contracted and frazzled just by that alone. So you get this. This gets felt uh, through the nerve endings. Uh, you know the, the fact that you can't emotionally relate to uh, a huge amount of what you feel yourself in, and that is enormous proportion, I would suggest, of our lives. So there's an emotional kind of constriction, withheldness, frustration, internalness, you know, which makes people feel very alienated, isolated. You know, you may have one, two, three, five people who you've got something responsive with, and you might meet or move past a hundred people where that's not happening. Or the responses are extremely metallic, you know. Yes, no, fill in this, do that, punch the ticket here, move on, next one. You know. So that's a, a big, big part of one's environment. Yeah. And you read the newspaper and you're reading about something 5,000 miles away, people are getting blown apart, earthquakes, disasters, bombs, war, terror, fear. You know. Pick that lot up. So this all has an effect. Not because of something you've particularly done, but because of just being immersed in this particular context. This makes it actually very powerful, difficult. Because if it's something we've done, we could stop doing it. You could say, okay, you know, I shouldn't swear, I shouldn't kick because I get negative feedback, I'll stop doing that. When it isn't anything you've done, you can't undo it. <laughs> you know, if you're born in that situation, uh, what can you do? You know? So you get, and this is a, a big part of the, the feeling and the weight that human beings carry. So when the, the Buddha taught the, the Four Noble Truths, you recognize that the First Noble Truth deals with the kind of things we inherit without having done anything. Birth. I don't remember actually making a conscious decision to do it. It just sort of happened. You know, there I was. It seemed like, you know, 
you're in it. And yet once you're in it, you, you come into this sentient, physical, incarnate experience, all kinds of things are going to happen to you. For a start, you've got to start feeding yourself, defending yourself, physically, psychologically, emotionally. That's going to go on. It means you've got to have your something out there making sure you get your needs met. And it's not necessarily the case they're going to be met. You get hostility, um, you know, abuse, um, and uh, so forth. Aging sickness, which no bit it's uh, painful. Separation from what we like, not getting what we want, uh, association with what we dislike. These happen. Third aspect is the, for, the first noble truth is just the what are called the five aggregates that are subject to clinging. This is a bit technical, but we might say the very quality of clinging, which is this, which another word for clinging is feeding, which makes it perhaps less pejorative. You know, clinging sounds. They both sound like something you you decide to do. It's 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 a reflex to feed upon. Obviously, we have physical food. The Buddha said this is only one part of what feeding is about. Well, feeding is about sense contact. We drink in things through the eyes. We drink in through the ears. We're fed. We're supported by that. But the problem with feeding is that when the uh, food supply isn't, doesn't come in, yeah. You know, or it's poisonous what you feed upon you know, so that the compulsive feeding when you've got no choice about it is called addiction we can't do without and like a lot of addiction kind of takes a while to really acknowledge it if you've been into it Addictions. Most of us into some addictions or another. Some of them are labelled addictions, like alcohol or heroin or something like that. Some are not labelled addictions, but you get to sense them after a while. You know, to sleep, to getting your own way, to <laughs> you know the various things that we get uh, habituated around, we feel comfortable with, and you don't realise it until it gets threatened, and you feel funny. You know. Uh, so, um, so some of this is, is uh, so I think it takes a while to really own up to newspapers, you know, sort of addicted to that Sex, sexual stimulation, addicted to that. So this, when the feeding becomes uh, compulsive and habitual. This is stressful because you become disempowered. You lose freedom, you lose authority, you lose flexibility, you're strapped, you're tied down to these particular um, pleasure objects. Or the other form of basic addiction is not so much pleasure as being something. Um, you know. So, most obvious examples of people who need to be on top, need to be the star, need to have the spotlight, uh, 
We need to be something. For many people, it's not not so exaggerated as that, uh, but there are uh, various things that we find ourselves becoming or needing to be with other people, particularly in relationships, either in individuals or in groups. So it's about trying to be nobody, not to be noticed. Almost like to have a blackness rather than a spotlight. Let me be invisible. Let me not be not seen. Leave me alone, you know. And so, for sometimes in med- for meditators, this may be quite a, st- a strong uh, current, you know, where you just want to you know, close down and not not re- be touched by anything. And we feel confused, fearful, nervous, distressed, disoriented these patterns of our feeding get interrupted or challenged or threatened so this is all latent stress that becomes apparent when as things change in our lives and suddenly we find that something we were leaning on feeding upon is threatened or challenged or taken away and then you experience it, this latent suffering erupts into, into very uh, present felt suffering and stress disorientation Notice almost all of this is involuntary. So one of our aims of meditation is the first of all you've got to make it something that you have you're voluntary about that as you begin to acknowledge it and attenuate it and diminish it and let go of it. So the first thing, often one of the most, you know, Slow or discomforting experiences to begin to acknowledge some of these um, where we're where we're hanging on. Where it's happened to us. This can seem like a very huge topic with a lot of history to it, a lot of factors that we can do nothing about. It's about one's upbringing, it's about one's childhood, it's about other people, it's about the global situation. So we think, well, what can you do about that? What I'm suggesting in meditation is we, we come to the bodily sense of that and now it's much more immediate you know if you go to the emotional sense of that there are various narratives and stories that begin to emerge and unfold things we remember things we find ourselves coming back to things we find ourselves nagging on or being nagged by become apparent kind of fear tendencies withdrawal tendencies reaching out tendencies a feeling of no matter how much I reach out I can't quite get it you know I can't quite get my bit yeah or I'm not enough 
or not allowed, these sort of messages can start coming up. And then the, the mind rocks around trying to either jump off to some other place where it's better, more comfortable, you know, find some other story to pick up to blot that one out, yeah, or it gets spun into it. This is the difficulty. Because the mind is so resonant, it starts to resonate with its own resonances and you get a whole orchestra playing in there. What I'm suggesting is coming to the bodily sense of that. Body doesn't proliferate. Body doesn't embellish. The body doesn't elaborate. So the simple method, or a simple method, is to begin to feel the feelings, feel the mind in the body. Um, Because there, although the, the mind elaborates and proliferates, that is, you get, one comes to a particular piece of Vipaka, a particular piece of history, a specific piece of psychological pattern, you touch into that and suddenly stories start happening. You know, and a feeling of overwhelm starts happening, spinning out starts happening, distraction starts happening to get away from it. You know, whole thing starts to reverberate. And if you come to the bodily sense of that, the body doesn't actually have any stories to tell. It just feels, say, tight in the chest. It feels sort of empty. You can have big holes in your body when some of these patterns take over. Mm -hmm. You know, you get into a piece of story and your mind's just pumping away and the thoughts come rushing up. And where are you? You're in this sort of fountain of emotions thoughts, perceptions, memories, strategies with some turbulence to it it's, a, it's called papancha papancha sanya sankam which means the proliferation of, of memory, perception, meaning and impulse it's kind of turbocharged stuff and at that time the body is hardly there you may experience a few bands of, of energy and the rest of it's gone so we spin out and then as we spin out we lose the body reference and as we spin out that particular story then becomes a global story because it's got no specific reference anymore to, to here now body standing here Gaia house Friday, Saturday morning, you know, it's two hours before the meal, so, you know, suddenly you're out into this moonscape of whatever your, whatever your story is, and it's, it's wall to wall, and it's history, and it's what I am, and so on. So that's, that's uh, the papancha, the elaboration experience, you take a little piece of fear, worry, need, bereavement happens, comes up and then the thing becomes total or, you know, large. That's not total, maybe unfair, but large. And we're in it and we feel overwhelmed by it. Or it starts to come up and then there's a kind of flick 
and your mind goes somewhere else because it, you sense that, oh, no, 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 off, and we're off somewhere else altogether thinking about something else. Sometimes it's like that. That's actually um, worse in a way. It's like, uh, you know, if you've got a, a problem with an addiction and when it gets mentioned, you say, no, 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 I just, just fancied one, that's all. <laughs> not, no, I don't need this stuff, I just felt like it, you know, <laughs> for now. But you seem to feel like it seven times a day, every day. Do you notice that? But, well, you know, <laughs> everybody does or something like that. You know, it goes like that, doesn't it? Where there's this flick into shrugged. We shrug our lives off. Mm. Because it's just too uh, overwhelming to actually meet meat and, and own up to it. So much, say, fear, shame, guilt, worry, distress, feeling disempowered. This is where we keep, if we linger in these emotional cross currents, particularly you've got several sets of cross currents that actually uh, emphasize and antagonize each other. Like, I need to be okay with everybody, I need to feel good with everybody, I need to feel approved of, otherwise, I feel weird and funny. So, I don't want people to know about this kind of rather unfortunate habit I've got. So, you know, so I can't actually acknowledge it. So this is uh, a pattern that happens. We need to maintain the sense of being a coherent, good enough sort of self so that where we are shaky, uh, rocky, absent, lost, confused, you know, out of control, we don't want to know about that. So a huge amount of practice is about the compassion, kindness, ability to, to be able to, to bear presence with one's loss, with one's loss of presence. This is the, the healing, isn't it? You know, you, you know. And this requires um, support. So the spirit of the practice is very much one of of uh, compassion. Or well, the Buddha used the word anukampang, which means uh, trembling with. Literally, it says he teaches the Dhamma out of Anukampa. Anukampati is the word. Not karuna, which is compassion, but Anukampati, which means something like, Kampa is to, is to, to shake. So you might say it resonates. There's empathy. And uh, this word is used for the, why the Buddha began to teach at all is because of this sense. Sense of fellow feeling, or empathy. Continues to teach because of this quality. And so that can be um, come up in terms of either loving kindness, which is a nourishing quality, compassion, which is a protective quality, slightly different. Mm. 
you know, they're doing the same thing, you know, but, but approximately the image of Metta is of uh, feeding uh, an infant, the sense of Karuna is of looking over it to make sure no harm comes to it. Quality of Mudita is the uh, when we resonate with something, appreciating its strength, goodness, brightness, growth. This is very important. We're, we're not just the disease. So to be able to fully empathize with and resonate with the strength, the beauty that's present in us. Very important is to be able to access the non-stressed. Otherwise, uh, you know, we get this very uh, uh, narrow picture because the stress tends to pull our attention. It's like the thorn in your finger becomes the total message of your body when you've got a thorn in your finger. <laughs> you don't notice the bits, the other bits. Yeah. So you have to notice the other bits. Very important development. And equanimity, which is the um, evenness of mind. The mind is equipoise. It's not indifference. It means that we have our empathic presence, which is which doesn't react. Mm. Uh, it's the most um, refined and, and uh, rarely uh, developed or fully developed uh, quality. And the image of this is when a parent recognises that their offspring is now old enough to look after themselves and will learn from their mistakes by themselves. So it's, it's a sense of trust in that. Well, you know, it doesn't mean everything's going to be all right, but basically you've got enough strength, you've got enough resources to, to learn now. So there's a sense of trust and freedom with equanimity. It means, okay, there's going to be some good and some bad, but don't, don't that's not, you know, you, you can move through that. So you're more equanimous about the <coughs> successes than failures. The afflicted spaces, you're not, into, you're not having to deny them. <coughs> you're not getting into a state because you're not perfect. You don't have to be perfect. So this means you, your kind of whole sense of your, you don't have to carry an image of yourself. So, so that's really important because then when we don't have to carry an image it means we can continually allow and handle the afflictive or things that normally we, we rather uh, we start to distract ourselves from with a feeling of okay well there's this too and this also is of the nature to is karma, is vipaka is old stuff happening um, it's just stuff it's not me, it's not mine, but it is my responsibility. It's not myself, but it's my responsibility to, to meet this. And there's a shift there. So those four bases are the basis of, of full, informed ep- empathy. We might say the practice could be summarized as just this. Except that um, the very language of this 
places this in the heart sense, which is what it's about. But the heart needs strength. It needs the strength uh, of the body, and it needs the accuracy of the thinking mind. The thinking mind is the, is the bit that can make things very specific. The thinking mind is the is the facility that we have to pick up one particular piece and say, just this bit right now, there. It's that. So it's the thinking mind does that. We can say, you know, this is a, you know, not just any old day or not just any old day. It's this particular object with these particular characteristics. It has the quality of attention. Whereas the mind base of the heart is the quality of empathy, resonance, affective. You know, the problem with that is you can be affected. There's no boundaries around that. So, you know, a thorn in your finger, you get the feeling of pain. Pain has got no edges around it, it's just unpleasant. But when you're thinking mind says, okay, well this is going to take three days to heal, it's only in the tip of your finger, you'll be alright. You've, you've specified it, and it gives you the, the emotional base, a sense of perspective. So, this, this is a support. It also, the quality of attention is that which we uh, cultivate, because it's the thing we have most voluntary sense over. We may not be able to have much say over what particular memories or meanings or impressions are coming up, the way our psychology is structured right now, what we feel frightened of or needy of or embarrassed about or irritated by. It just happens. But we do have some say about where we place our attention. Some say. And as you get more skillful in meditation, you get more and more say over, I don't, I attend to this bit right now. Yeah. Or this is the bit I need to look at right now. Or right now I, I can't actually manage this bit. I'll get back to that later. Yeah. So you've got some way of, of making a path out of this very... Um, total global experience of, of feeling and karma and, and results. Right now, we're the result of everything. Which bit of everything do you want to deal with? <laughs> you know, whoa. <laughs> it's, it's huge, isn't it? Global, personal, social, sociological, you name it, you know. So which bit, you just look at that like, oh God, get me out of here. So you just take a little bit, you know, deal with this particular bit. This is the skill of meditation. Often when you find, when you develop this skill, you can realise actually, the interesting thing is that in, in one little bit can contain the seeds of huge amounts of stuff. You know, if I actually learn to deal with, with fear... I don't have to deal with how I feel about elephants, trams, buses, strange men in corners, you know, beetles. I can just deal with the fear bit, you know. 
So that, that's the quality. You actually come to into some primary depths through 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 attention. This is the faculty of the thinking mind. It doesn't mean we're actually thinking, but you can steer with a thought. You have some. You can actually decide. <coughs> think this. Think elephant. You know, an elephant will pop into your mind. You can't say see an elephant. They don't happen that often, but you can think one. And there it is. So once you've thought it, the little elephant appears and uh-huh, ears, trunk, jumbo, bun, you know, all kinds of other meanings come up with it till it becomes fully there, you know, for you. So that thinking is the bit that actually brings to mind and then uh, it also enhances or expands your awareness of that. And as that process takes over, as you do that, then eventually what happens is you don't need to think that. The elephant is there. <laughs> in, your, in, your, in your heart. You know, the meaning of that. If you're, you like elephants, you're friendly, and when you're a kid, you feel happy with it, or whatever it is. So it's just a, see, it's that voluntary thing that actually brings something supportive into your mind, and you get the meaning of it, you enhance the meaning of it, you linger in the meaning, you expand the meaning of it, you get, then you get the emotional, psychological feeling of that supportive thing, and then you sit in it, you breathe in it, you spread that sense through your whole body, because the emotional, psychological energy <coughs> has this somatic resonance to it. What do I feel like when I feel with some when I'm with somebody I feel comfortable with? Suddenly I feel a bit maybe a bit larger, a bit looser, a bit lighter, you know, sort of skin tones up a bit. You know, with a bunch of people I feel, you know, dissociated from or frightened of, everything kind of contracts and closes down. So we enhance the, the positive meanings to give ourselves the strength and the support. This is what, you know, one bit of what meditation is about. So that's karma, that's action. And you're often handling results of, you know, of things that have happened to you, limiting, you know. Has happened. First phases, we begin to first of all acknowledge what we're carrying. You know, because in a retreat time, there's nothing particularly to do but to be here. So as soon as you s- switch off the forward drive engine, then the mind comes in, starts to open. It's no longer moving forward. It opens up. So in meditation, you've got to be very conscious of even the sense of meditation itself being a moving forward. Because we do so much moving forward in our lives, you know, into the next day and tomorrow, and by the end of the week I'll have this done. That becomes a kind of mental pattern. So that gets established around meditation as well, because that's the way our minds operate. I'm doing this now, by the end of two days, well, it's not long enough, I won't have got anywhere in two days, I've already decided that. 
or I should get in two days so you, you know get to that particular pattern yeah. or I'm doing this for five years and I haven't that particular pattern <laughs> or you know or I'll get this you know when I started I thought I'd get this sorted out in three months it should be enough get to the next thing so right here we go knock it out you know after three months you kind of knock it out motors start to big ends are knocking on it <laughs> getting knocked out rather than knocking anything out you start to realise oh you've actually got to, got to sit here and be with where you are <laughs> so you know that, that's a bit isn't it to actually open up to, to shift one's uh, sense even of where we, what we're doing in meditation of course there is a path but it's not actually a path forward it's a path inwards and opening which you get the hang of it it means that this little two two days you're fine you know but actually got a life so these are this is a time when we can kind of check in with our basis um, clear the desk and look at again uh, review where our, what our patterning is what our habits are what our psychological emotional habits are and start to pick up a few skills that will help us to get to keep uh, to continue as we practice so there is something to be cultivated and something to be realised so meditation practice in this, in this sense, in doing good, very simply speaking, is generally taught in two ways. First way, or what I've spoken of first, these Brahma Vihara, or these qualities of empathy. So that's something we kind of try to keep present with ourselves, touch into how we can experience that with ourselves and with each other, and enhance that sense. The complementary sense is the uh, concentration, particularly around the body, most characteristically around breathing in and out, because breathing in and out is such an enormously um, refined and um, continual energy transfer. So you breathe in and out by itself, it happens by itself. Um, naturally what occurs is, is there is a, is a continual energy massage shift occurs as you breathe in and breathe out so it's the thing that can actually send through these bodily <coughs> sense regenerative energies regenerative feeling regenerative experiences a feeling of un- lack of constriction a feeling of release a feeling of being nourished a feeling of brightening a feeling of releasing so that as we bring the body and mind together <coughs> One message is coming from the mind base, you know, which is the message of kindness, compassion, appreciation, equanimity. One message is coming from the body base. Like, you know, you can breathe in and out, it happens. There's no progress in it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to be that good at it. It kind of does it. You could just kind of loosen up a bit, will you, and let, let it happen and you can enjoy it and if you didn't get that one don't worry because there'll be another one along in just a few seconds <laughs> so this is really 
you know, the idea of it is to is to make this as as stress free experience. <laughs> and then as you as you you come into that, you get a sense, hey, you know, something something here is working for you. You don't have to get out and do all the work. You know, workaholic Western world. Something here is just sit back and enjoy the ride. Of course, the problem is that it actually keeps staying on the bus because the ride isn't necessarily going in a normal way in which we uh, do things at normal speed. It's a kind of gentle, slow, steady, somewhat refined ride. And as you, as we cultivate, as we do that, then what happens is you, as you start to cut engines on the going forward and you come into presence, then a certain amount of the disturbed inheritance comes waving up and, you, and it throws us off the bus. We lose the bus of the breath. And we go on to the circuit again. That our sangsara treadmill. So, you know, so the fundamental method is as you as you lose it, as the mind goes off onto its sangsaric treadmill of I always and I can't, never, and how do I supposed to do this meditation anyway, and all this sort of stuff, and uh, can't do this, and how long I'm going to sit for, and you know, suddenly it becomes an issue and a force and pressure. Woo woo. What's happening? Where am I? So then your your attention, bring your attentive mind to, what's this called? This is panic, this is fear, this is, or even not a word, but just this sense. Sense of agitation, tension, tight, pressure, push, speed, or sinking, dropping, spacing, losing, going vague, spacing out. You know, however that's sensed, and then at that particular moment, yeah. see if you can bear in mind, this is what mindfulness is about, the ability to bear something in mind, the message just coming through of, where's your body now? Where's your body now? Where's the breath now? Can you breathe out? And then just sort of that mindfulness of body. So, you know, so this is the bit that we we can do. We can do attention. We can do this this bit of remembering. We can do this bit of mindfulness. This is the bit. You might say the entrance to meditation per se, is through attention and through mindfulness. Because that's the bit that you can actually train in and keep doing. Uh, so that, and you, you, as you cultivate, you enhance that ability to make it lighter, firmer, clearer. No stories, no judgments, no blames. Lighter, clearer, Steadier, and just this got a comforting feeling like, 
Where are you? Body, breathing. That's it. That's all the story you need for mindfulness. So that's a kind of action, but it's extremely, the beauty of it it is very simple. It's not a complex strategy. So it's something you can remember and get hold of through the fog or whatever it is of one's sangsaric stuff. Doesn't seem that impressive or important. Putting it in the right place is what mindfulness of the body is about, why this is the primary base of meditation. Because this is the place where the stories end, where it's just that feeling are in my head, when it's just that strange sense in my wrists, when it's just that sense of not having anything beneath my neck, apart from a kind of queasy jangle. (laughs) So we start to come into the fullness of the body, So you get the whole of it, right down to the soles of the feet. When you stand, walk, sit, and then breathing through the whole body. Long, called breathing in long, breathing out long. First set of instructions, being aware of it, being able to come back to that, and then breathing in long, breathing out long. Breathing in through the whole body, out through the whole body. It sort of defies our, our normal way of understanding breath as to be something the air is doing in the lungs, but just begin to experience the, if you, as you develop your meditation, how breathing affects the whole body, the energy movements that occur with that. You know, why if you really breathe out with your whole body, your shoulders will tend to drop if you're tense. If you really breathe in with your whole body, your chest will tend to open when you breathe in. Not because you're forcing it open, it just, you realise, oh, this is me too. Ah, oh, you know. Whereas if you only breathe in with your nose, the rest of the body says, okay, nose, you get on with it, and I'm going to stay in my weird little contracted space <laughs> while this thing happens up my nose. And then all this tension or whatever it is held in the body doesn't get touched. So you're going to get the whole thing. Even if you can't get the breathing, at least get the whole body first of all. Maybe that's the place to start. Getting the whole body sweeping around, the whole body first, to realise you you can waken the the skin up. You can get the sense of what's around me is fine, I don't need screening or sheltering. What's within me is stable, there is a presence within me, I don't need to keep leaning out, rushing out for something else. So this internal reference and then the sense of the periphery are very important in body meditation. And always with this ongoing sense of can there be uh, warmth, nourishment, can I allow there to be warmth, and can I take it in? Mm. <coughs> Because one of the 
ironies or the bits of, of about loving kindness and compassion is that you can't actually take it in if, you, if you're defended if you're tightened up you can't take it in you know you need it it's like you've got your mouth closed <laughs> you wonder why you can't get it in because you've got your <laughs> so you try and force it in you've got to say well just start to open up a bit take the risk that it might be good out there so sometimes we start with loving kindness just imagining someone else is being loving towards us and what that would feel like someone else is being pleasant, kind, generous spacious with my presence someone else is out there why we have Buddha for example you know Buddha is not telling me to get on a case and get cracking out and get into samadhi. Buddha is saying, hey there, you know, you're in my club, I like you, you like me, we're fine. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) that seems a healthier kind of Buddha to have, to my mind. So you think, oh, wouldn't it be nice if somebody liked that? Oh, now I can get it. Uh, and suddenly this diseased experience of relationship, which has occurred through walking through 3,000 people who have ignored my presence all day long, suddenly, you know, that, that screening, that kind of shielding, that numbness can drop away. I can actually, you know, open up to being with something outside that's actually uh, supportive and, and empathic. You get that, and just drink that in and sit with that and work with that as you sit, stand, walk. What would it be like? Get the whole of the body to sense that. So, just covering these bases. Because the degree with which that occurs can be the degree in which your, your somatic presence becomes more sensitive, more attuned uh, more responsive and you start to be able to sense your breathing much more easily so naturally the result of that is just as you, when you feel that uh, lessening of that shell you know, this, this energetic shell that closes us down oh, you know, you can breathe out and you can breathe in, it feels sweet so you don't have to, if you feel yourself, you've got to force yourself to breathe, don't. You know, if you've got to force yourself to do mindfulness of breathing, don't, don't. It's, it's something else has to happen first. You know, it's not, re- it's not ready for you yet. You know, you'll end up making mindfulness of breathing another traumatic experience. <laughs> Only when it starts coming to you, when it starts coming to you, then, you, then it, you're ready to meet. You know, so we might need first of all to just sit, feel our body presence, feel a sense of warmth and uh, openness, and then you begin to you begin to sense this rhythmic quality, which is the first thing to tune into this rhythmic flow. Hey, what's that? Pick it up wherever you can feel it tune into it, feel how it happens by itself and then just let your attention sharpen around that 
and that will you know, that's the way you enhance that particular sense and then you realize it does travel through the whole system so then, then you can expand So let's have um, some time to practice now. Thank mm-hmm. you.